Earlier I, I said turn in your Bibles to Matthew 6, but if you can keep a bookmark or your finger or something there in Matthew uh, 6, and also flip back to Matthew chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 3, I'm going to be reading three different passages. One in, um, excuse me, I said Matthew, Mark. Mark. Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 19. And then Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. And then we will return to Mark chapter 6, in verse 6. So if you are there, we're going to begin in Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 19. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he, that is Jesus, saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Now Mark chapter, thir- uh, chapter 3 verse 13 And he went up on the mountain and called to him those he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Now Mark chapter 6, beginning in the second half of verse 6. And he went about among the villages teaching, and he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money for their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, Stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. This is the reading of God's word. We say thanks be to God. God, we do thank you for your word. And now, God, as we reflect on what we have read, we we ask your guidance that you illuminate us in our minds that we can understand. And God, may you, um, by your spirit, inspire us by what is written to live out what you would call us to 
to do and who you want us to be. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we get to a new phase in Jesus' ministry. In Mark's gospel, we have been introduced to Jesus as the the Son of God and the Son of Man. Um, His teaching has been greeted with uh, amazement. Crowds started to generate around him. Um, He was traveling around sharing the gospel of the kingdom of God. And he was casting out demons and healing individuals. And the demons knew who Jesus was. They They understood his identity. But the crowds were a little perplexed at who Jesus was, wondering um, what, uh, who this guy was. Now we get to a different phase in Jesus' ministry. He's just returned back to his hometown. He'd been teaching in the synagogues and he taught in his, the synagogue in his own hometown. And now Jesus kind of uh, launches another phase of, of his ministry. And I want to um, kind of look at all of these passages as a whole and um, the Mark chapter 6 passage in particular. But I want us to kind of begin by looking at three, three key terms to help us understand kind of a flow of what's happening in Jesus' ministry here. And so I'll begin with three, three, uh, three key terms, and then we're going to kind of go back and look a little bit at this passage and then see how, see how this process that uh, we see laid out for us here, how this applies to us. In, uh, uh, in our world today. So here's, here's the first uh, key term I want us to, to kind of think through today. Here's the term, disciples. It's not an unfamiliar term. I think you're very familiar. If you've read the Gospels, you understand this word disciple. And I think we, we kind of generally understand what that means, but it might be helpful to look at kind of the, the Greek word behind this. The Greek word is mathetes, and it means uh, a learner or a student, or a pupil, or an apprentice. Many different religious groups, or many movements, or many individuals had uh, disciples, had learners. These are people who are uh, committed to a cause, or a movement, or committed to the teachings and beliefs of a teacher, a political teacher, or uh, a group. So they're an adherent or a student. So it's not just a like a student just learning information and facts and thinking through things. It's a student of the way so that you could be an adherent of that movement and a part of that movement. As I said, many different religious groups had these movements. We saw this in Mark chapter 2. Um, we had this encounter where John's disciples, Mark tells us, were fasting. And it says that the, the disciples of the Pharisees were fasting. So a disciple means to just kind of be a part, a member of this particular group that was learning their worldview, their ideology, and were operating uh, according to it. And this is what Jesus did when he called the very first group of followers. We saw this in Mark chapter one. Jesus calls um, these people who may have known him. Some maybe have know, knew him. Some didn't. Um, 
But you saw this with Simon and Andrew and James and John. Jesus comes up to them and he approaches them and he says, follow me. And he's not just saying, hey, follow me. I want to go show you something. This was a call to discipleship. Because as we saw with Simon and Andrew, when they hear this call, they actually left their nets to go and follow him. The same with John and James. They, they left their father as he's standing uh, in his business with the hired hands. They leave to go and follow after Jesus. So these were persons who did not know Jesus, but then came to know Jesus, believe in him and learn from him under his authority. And this call to follow, this call of discipleship, um, will require a reorientation of your life. Okay? It's not just checking the box, you know, I believe these, these, these ideologies. This was uh, the student of, of a belief system and practices and abiding by those. You, were, you became a follower, you became a disciple, you became a learner, you became a student. So this call to follow involved this reorientation of your life. The disciples, when they left to go and follow Jesus, they did everything with Jesus. They were simply, as we read in chapter 3, they were with him. They were just with him. So they were persons who did not know Jesus, came to know Jesus, to learn from him. They were intent on absorbing his teaching. And remember, Jesus' teaching was one of he was teaching as one who had authority. But they didn't just follow Jesus. They weren't just disciples. You see that this following to become disciples, again, isn't just that we, we ascribe to a worldview or philosophy. It involves a complete reorientation of your life. It means that you've now changed. You grow to become a different kind of person. This commitment... To this cause, this reorientation of your life um, could result in any number of changes for you. Could be a change in job or a change in your priorities or a change in your entertainment, a change in your habits, a change in your thinking a change in your budget, all to reflect this new discipleship role that you have taken on. And those were the, the, the two main prerequisites for, for discipleship, as we see throughout Mark's gospel, and we'll get to in more detail later. The two, repre, uh, two requisite, prerequisites are um, calculating the cost of what it would mean to follow and then committing yourself to that cause. This is what the disciples did. This is what made them disciples. It's what distinguishes disciples from the other group of people that we see that came into contact with Jesus, and that is the crowds. Crowds kind of had a superficial interaction with Jesus. Disciples were ones who came, who did not previously know Jesus, but came to know Jesus and to learn from Jesus and then to grow to resemble Jesus. I like the way Luke's gospel uh, puts this. 
says a disciple, Jesus says this, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. So a disciple is somebody who is with Jesus, knows Jesus, and then grows to resemble Jesus. So that's the first uh, term that we need to understand. The second term I want us to look at uh, kind of briefly here is this phrase that we saw a couple of times in this reading, and that is what Mark just called the twelve. Now, there were more than just 12 disciples. There were more than just 12 followers or learners. Um, the, the number of disciples is much larger. It's a smaller number than the crowds that were following. But then there was a, a group of disciples. And out of that group of deci- disciples, Jesus calls a, a smaller group called the 12. Mark just calls them the 12. We see this in chapter 3, verse 14. And he appointed the twelve. We said in verse 16, and he appointed the twelve and then gives the names. And again, we saw it in chapter six. He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two. So Jesus had many disciples, but then there were the twelve who were the original disciples. But eventually those those twelve take kind of the next stage of their discipleship role. And Jesus gave another title to those 12, and we saw it uh, in our reading. And this is our, the third term. Our first term is disciples. The second term is the 12. The third term is apostles. Apostles. Notice that we saw that in chapter 3, verse 14. And he appointed 12, and then he has kind of this parenthetical statement here, whom he also named Apostles. Now, apostle is one who is a a messenger or an agent. It's a bearer of a commission or um, um, an an ambassador, um, a delegate. It's one who is sent. It comes from the, the, the verb form is to send or to send out. And so notice kind of this little bit of the sequence or the pattern. Jesus calls these disciples. He appoints the 12 to be with them. And lastly, he sends them out. And that's kind of the point of the chapter six is Jesus sending out this 12. He called the 12, began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And then he gave them some instructions for this sending. I think that are very interesting. A couple of interesting thoughts here. One, they're not to take any staff or provisions. Verse 8. He charged them not to take, uh, to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts. You would think bread and bag and, and a little bit of money would be an essential thing to take on this kind of short-term excursion that Jesus sends them on. But Jesus says, no, only take your staff and only take these clothing items. No, to wear sandals, but you're only allowed one garment, not two garments. Notice verse nine, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. So here's the principle. Here's the principle I think is evident there that these these apostles, as they're being sent out on this excursion, this commission that Jesus sends them on to go and to preach, they are to travel light. 
unencumbered by the things of the world. Okay? Trusting in God and depending upon the hospitality of others. They were to be uh, compensated for this. Matthew and Luke's version of this um, says that as you go into the homes, he reminds them, you know, for the laborer deserves their wages. So whatever they give you, receive that. But he says this is this is uh, this is not a profiteering exposition expedition. You are to entrust yourselves to those to whom you are giving this message. So they're to take no staff, no provisions, wear sandals, no extra tunic, and accept the hospitality of others. Verse 10. And then in verse 11, uh, Jesus gives them instruction for the judgment in case that people that they go and share this message with reject it. Notice verse 11. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. Jesus sends these guys out with the message, sends them out as his ambassadors. And what they will share will generate at least one of two responses. One will be positive, one will be negative. The positive response is that the people will receive this message and receive them into their homes. Mark doesn't say it, but Matthew's gospel does. In Matthew chapter 10, it says, And whenever a town or a village you enter, find a house who is worthy and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, he says again, let your peace come upon it. For if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. So there's going to be a positive reception as you go and share. Jesus acknowledges this. But there is um, there's also a negative aspect to what the negative way of responding to this message. Some uh, of the people who would hear it would become disciples. They would receive the message and welcome him in. Uh, There are others, though, who do not receive this message. And this perhaps might be more common, which is why I think maybe Mark doesn't talk about the worthy house like Matthew does. There's going to be people who are not going to receive this message. This should be no surprise. Should be no surprise at all, really, when you think of this immediate context. Remember what had happened in Nazareth? At the beginning of chapter 6, Jesus is preaching in his hometown and his own members of his own hometown reject him. And if people rejected Jesus, if his own hometown citizens rejected Jesus, then surely his disciples who are commissioned by him will receive some rejection as well. And so Jesus has this instruction for them when this happens, you are to shake the dust off of your feet. It's kind of an object lesson. Their rejection of God's message then leaves this this town accountable to God. It's kind of a sign of judgment uh, against them. How do, you, how do you respond when people don't receive uh, the message that you would share with them? You get upset or frustrated or angry. You know, go back to the drawing board. Rethink everything. 
What do you do? Well, Jesus tells his disciples, you're going to leave the reception of it or the rejection of it. Leave that entirely to God. You offer it. They don't receive it. You shake the dust off your feet. Kind of like wiping your hands. I've I've done what I can do. So those are the instructions Jesus gives to them as they go out, which is really interesting. He's going to send them out to preach. He's going to send them out to cast demons. He doesn't give any instructions like, okay, here's what you do when you encounter a demon or anything. He says, no, actually what you're going to go to do is you're going to go completely dependent upon God. You're going to receive the hospitality of others and you're going to leave the outcome up to God. And so they come back with this summary, verses 12 and 13. So they went out and proclaimed that the people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. And here's what's interesting. Here's what is interesting with these disciples and what's going on in this little, um, this little excursion, this little mission that they go on. These disciples of Jesus meant being involved in the ministry of Jesus as well. Being a a disciple of Jesus means being involved in Jesus's ministry as well as just learning his teaching. The disciples replicate Jesus's ministry. Not on their own. Jesus gives them the authority to do this. But they replicate his ministry. They become his representatives. Doing what he himself had done. As you think back in Mark chapter 1. Jesus went out proclaiming the gospel of God. Jesus commissions them here in Mark chapter 6 to proclaim. Jesus went out in Mark 1.15 saying repent and believe the gospel. Here in Mark chapter 6, verse 12, they went out and proclaimed to the people that they should repent. Jesus had, as we have seen, been casting out demons. These guys were charged with casting out demons. Jesus went and healed the sick. These guys were charged with healing the sick. Jesus was empowering them to do what he himself had been doing all along. And if you follow this story as it goes on into the sequel of the Gospels in the book of Acts, you see the the apostles doing the exact same thing. After Jesus' death and uh, resurrection and ascension, the expansion of Jesus under the power of the Holy Spirit starts to spread. It empowers the church to go and spread this message all across the world. And it begins, that whole movement, everything begins... When Jesus begins to expand his ministry using these simple, everyday guys. Note again this three-part movement. This calling and this commissioning and this sending. These were persons who did not know Jesus, then came to know Jesus. In other words, recognizing him as Messiah... And then learned from him. And in so doing, they started to grow to resemble him. And lastly, they were sent out by Jesus under his authority to go and represent him. All of that is discipleship. 
To know, to grow, and to go. To realize who Jesus is and repent. Then grow to resemble who Jesus is. And then sent to represent who Jesus is. Hope you didn't leave your windows down. Nobody left their windows down. So, friends, this is a really accurate description of the entire process of discipleship. So I kind of visually, uh, I didn't draw this. Um, some, here's man. Here's guy. Okay. Here's unbelieving guy. This guy doesn't know Christ. Isn't in a relationship with Christ. And so when it comes to how he, where he stands with God, he is, uh, as far as biblically speaking, he's kind of an enemy of God. He doesn't, he doesn't have a relationship with Christ. He doesn't put his faith in the work of Christ on the cross. What's this person's greatest need? This person's greatest need is to know Christ. To realize who Jesus is and to repent of their sin and then now enter into a relationship with Christ. But if guy does this, or gal, guy does this, he is now a, a Christian. He moves from being a sinner to now being a saint. And he is now a disciple. He now becomes a learner of Christ. So guy now moves, uh, his greatest need now is to grow in his relationship with Christ. To grow in the grace and knowledge of his Savior. To grow in his faith. To grow to resemble Jesus, as Jesus said. The disciples uh, never goes above their teacher, but it's enough for him to become like his teacher. And that's our goal for every Christian in here is to grow, to become more like Jesus, to resemble Jesus. But we also see that it doesn't, that discipleship entails more than just growing to resemble Jesus, that every single disciple also now goes to represent Jesus to others. And so the greatest need for, for every disciple is not only to grow, but also to go. To be sent. And to represent Jesus as ambassadors. We are ambassadors for Christ. Imploring people to receive the message of reconciliation that God would give, right? So there's no grow, go. You go from this disciple, as we saw from the disciples, they go from uh, not knowing Christ to becoming a disciple. They are with Jesus and learn from him. They grow to resemble him, to be like their teacher. And Jesus says, and now I'm sending you out. Now there's some ways in which this 12, it's unique for them. In some, in some parts of the apostolic office is unique, unique to them. But I think here Jesus is, is also giving us a pattern. What the apostles doing then becomes um, 
the uh, pattern in the terms of their going and sharing the message. That becomes a pattern for every single uh, disciple. If you would turn in to your right to Luke's gospel. Here's just one piece of evidence for why I think that that's true. Because some of you might say, hey, those guys were apostles. They had a very unique role in the history of the church and in church life. And I would say, yes, absolutely. That is absolutely true. Notice in Luke chapter 9, you have Luke's version of this account. And he called the 12 and gathered them together and he gave them authority over demons to cure diseases. And he sent them out and he says, take nothing for your journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money. See, it's very similar, right? And he sends them out to go and do this. And then the 12 come back and they rejoice. Notice what happens in Luke chapter 10, however. Mark doesn't include this, but Luke does. He tells a story of what happens after this. I've heard of this described as um, kind of uh, evangelism or evangelism or mission for the second string. It's like the, that's now the backup guys. Know what it says? The heading there. Jesus sends out the 72. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out ahead of him two by two in every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. I'm sending you out like lambs in the midst of wolves. And then notice this. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals. Greet no one on the road. Go into the house. You see the same kind of pattern here. So Jesus is expanding this ministry. He tries it with this twelve. And commissions them under the authority here. And Luke records for us that Jesus does it again with a larger group. And as we see in the sequel to the gospel in Acts, we see this continuing to expand. Every single disciple of Jesus is also part of and commissioned by Jesus to represent him as his ambassador. So we know, we grow, and we go. We realize who Christ is and repent of our sin and put our faith in him. And we grow to resemble him. And then we go to represent him. That's, I think, what we see here in this entire discipleship process. Discipleship to Jesus means that you're learning his teaching, that you're growing to become like him, that you know and you grow. But it also means being involved in the ministry that Jesus commissions for his church. Every disciple, every Christian is not just a learner, but a representative of Jesus in his mission. And that also means that every disciple-making church should not just be um, growing, not just knowing Christ and not just growing in Christ, but going. So my question in thinking about this passage and thinking about this pattern of discipleship um, is how are we doing? How are we doing at discipleship? How are you doing in your discipleship? 
Do you see all three phases represented in your discipleship life? And more specifically, how are we collectively doing at this process of discipleship? In the next couple weeks, we're going to kind of spend some time. We'll still be in Mark's gospel, but we're going to be spending some time uh, about talking about how we are doing on this. We're going to talk about the areas that maybe we're where we're strong. But we're also going to talk about what are our weaknesses in this process. And also how we can improve. If, if this is the biblical pattern for disciple, disciple making, and I think we could make the case all through the New Testament that this is, then these, this, this process, these should be our convictions too. To not only to come to know Christ and to grow in Christ, but to go and help other people to know Christ. So how can we help people to know Christ, to grow in Christ and go grow for Christ? That's what I want us to explore here in the next couple weeks as we're heading into a new ministry uh, season. And so uh, a couple of couple of uh, questions and requests for us to think about as we, we kind of close for this. I asked the first one already. Where are you? This is what I want you to think about throughout this week. So you think about this process of no, grow, go. Realize, resemble, and represent. As you think through this, where are you? Which guy are you? Or, or gal? Which, where are you in this process? Maybe, maybe you are the first guy. Now, um, Maybe you don't know Christ, and for which then I would tell you, you can come to know Christ. That you would heed the message that, that Jesus gives. That you would re repent of ruling your world your own way. Seeking to be your own Lord over everything. And removing the true sovereign Lord from his place in your life. That you would turn from kind of the sinful way of living and that you would turn to Christ. So if that is you, I encourage you to do that. Some of you, uh, some, and I know that this is just a reality in every single church. And so I, I have to say it. There are some people who, who think that they're maybe the second guy and they're really the first guy. They think that the, the second guy, they might say, well, like I was brought up in a Christian home. I, I have fairly conservative beliefs. I'm overall a really good person and I go to church. Well, Jesus's opponents did that. The Pharisees were brought up in a religious home. And were conservative in their beliefs and were good people and they went to church. That's not what being a Christian and a disciple is. If that's you, then your greatest need is to know Christ in a saving way. Or maybe you're the second person. And so for you, then the, then the question is, um, 
and this is the second question, what do you need to do to move to the right? So, so you go, okay, I do know Christ, uh, but I feel like my growth in Christ has kind of hit a wall, stalled out, um, is DOA. My walk with Christ is dead on arrival. So my question is, what do you need to do to move? Think about this week. What do I need to do that uh, is required for my discipleship in Christ that I need to be implementing into my life every day? Where's my prayer life kind of just, you know, gone flat? Where's my, my scripture reading? My Bible got dust on it. What do you need to do to move to the right? And lastly, I would say this, and this is more of a prayer request. Um, pray for me and pray for the other leaders, Dennis and Jared and Steve and Paul. If you would be praying for us, we've, uh, we've gotten together as leaders and we're kind of working out some nuts and bolts, kind of doing some house, uh, some cleaning house of things that have just kind of been neglected and not done right. And we're, we're kind of working to do those things better and to, to do things well. And um, but also long term, we're thinking, what is what are the convictions that a church should have? And what's the unique identity of Redeemer? How can we do it? And how well are we doing? So if you could be praying for us, pray for the leaders of your church and pray for your church. Pray that we would be, find ways that we can improve being a disciple-making church. That we would help people to know Christ, to grow in their relationship Christ, and to go and represent Christ in the world. Will you do those things? Where are you? What do you need to do to move to the right? And pray for all of us as we seek to do that. Will you do that? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we are so grateful for how it is that you have chosen to um, bring your kingdom and restoration to this world. We know this was accomplished through Jesus and his, his suffering and his death on a cross so that he could atone for the sins of mankind that all who would have faith in him could be reconciled to you. And we thank you for that. But God, we, we don't see the world put back in perfection like it was in the garden yet. And Jesus, your son, our savior, is not here. He is ruling and reigning in heaven. But you've not left us without a mission and without the authority and without the power. You've given us a job to do, God, and we, we thank you that in your wisdom you have chosen to do it this way and that you're calling your people to follow 
to be committed to the cause of growing and making Jesus known to others. So God, we pray for us as a church that all of us would move to the right in this process and that we would be praying and encouraging one another as we do so. So God, would you, by your spirit, bring conviction into our hearts to help us to grow as your disciples. And we pray this in Christ's mighty name and all God's people said, amen and amen. Friends, let's stand for a closing benediction. A reminder that the uh, offering box is out on the uh, information table and that Missy and Joe will be out at the table if you would like to take part in that petition. So, brothers and sisters, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the fellowship that we share in the Holy Spirit be with all of you as you go. Thank you.